Hello, and welcome to The Scene, the podcast about the early 2000s post-hardcore scene and the bands and band members that made it so unique. I'm your host, Jeremy Houtsman. For our inaugural podcast, I'm pleased and excited to have Josh Brigham from the band Hope's Fall. Josh is the guitar player and longest-running member of Hope's Fall. We discuss early musical influences, touring, and what Josh is passionate about now. With that said, welcome to the scene. Just a quick note. About 20 minutes into the view, I realized I wasn't actually recording. With that, what you hear at the beginning of the interview is me re-asking Josh some of the same questions I had asked him previously. Call it the learning curve of having your first podcast, or stupidity, I, I don't care. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it despite all my faults. Okay, <laughs> so again, uh, what what are some of your first memories of music really drawing you in? I think, I think uh, we were talking uh, about Young MC and Vanilla Ice yes. at my buddy Matt's house <laughs> when I was like, I don't know. I, I mean, it was clearly it was the 90s because the video that came on next was uh, Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's right. and, yeah. and I just was like, okay, this is this is this is different and exciting. Right, right. And yeah, like, I was just like, I was like perked up and like didn't really know what to make of it, but I was intrigued. And then I have a very early memory of seeing not a surf's like premiere on 120 minutes of popular. And I just remember us, me and Ryan, and a couple other friends were at the beach and we just watched that and we're just like, Oh dude, nailed it. Like that was so good. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I loved, I loved that band still do. Yeah. I still and, do. Uh, and who, who exactly influenced you to pick up a guitar? Like just to start, Playing right off. Let's just blame it on Siamese Dream, and you'd prefer an astronaut. I think. I think those are the culprits. Nice. (laughs) But those bands were those 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 two sounds in particular, and 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 to this day are just go tos. They they haven't lost their luster or their shine, in my opinion. Yeah. One. You, You know, an album's classic when it when it doesn't ever lose it's kind of like like you said luster or shine it's like it's every single time you listen to it you're like hearing new things or it's like the first time you heard it it's so dude i all i am always happy when i play either of those <laughs> those records yeah. first model guitar so it was an it was a it was an ibanez acoustic and i don't remember specifically um what kind it was uh it was it was just a regular six string. It wasn't anything. It wasn't anything special. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I remember my, my my first electric guitar though. I still own, and that's a Fender Strat, and it's American Standard. And I I modded it out and put like P90s in it, and I put some like Gibson hardware in it as well, nice. just to yeah, make no, it you awesome. know different a little bit. Like, um, I love that guitar, and it's yeah. great for what I'm doing. Because I'm playing, I think as the band's kind of gone on, I play I play a, a lot more rhythm. So I like big, thick, chunky chords, and I yeah. want, but I want to have some separation of the notes still. Yeah. Um. So that guitar makes a really, a really thick, 
good heavy distorted chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 who brought you into like how did Holmes Falls start and and happen? It was my my buddy Ryan and I again. Uh, we both went to college after high school, and we played in bands before with our friend Chris Kincaid and Adam Morgan, and we were high schoolers, and um. And we played together on and off on the weekends. A lot of the times we just get together and like make noise, honestly, like sometimes not even with drums. We just make like giant feedback sound, like, like symphonies. Cause our buddy, Chris, like his parents let him do whatever they wanted. And, and, um, so it was we good go to have a friend make like noise. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we could his parents let you do whatever. Thing. Yeah. 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 It was great. Like, um, you know, but, but like in college, uh, we would drive home from on the weekends because I think we all decided over like a Christmas break one year, Christmas '97. They were like, we should start a band, and so we did, and it was Hope Saul. <laughs> <laughs> um, and wh- when did you guys know that this was going to be more than just you know something you did on the weekend or play a few few gigs here, play a few gigs there? Well, I think we knew we knew fairly quickly that we were on to something just because the response was good and we were able to get shows and tours and people were interested in putting out our music immediately. And so we always knew we had something, but I didn't ever think it was going to be like a I never thought it would be a a career. Um, I, I just didn't think that that was possible for a hardcore band. I mean. Clearly, I was wrong because there are some hardcore bands from that genre that from that era that got fucking huge. Yeah. Um, but I, I I don't know. I just never thought that that was going to happen. So I went through college and we worked hard on the band on the break, spring break, Christmas break, summer break. Um, but I was like, I got to get this degree. Like, I got to have this fucking degree. And what like, was what were you trying to get a degree in? Oh, history. Nice. The most worthless degree. I thought <laughs> I've got to have a degree. I'm going to get the most worthless one you can get. I don't know uh, if that's possible. My bachelor's is in, in TV and films. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, TV is still a thing. You still watch, you still watch it, you know? Yeah. I guess history is still a thing too. We're making it daily. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, you know, I had no like master plan to get some sort of job. I was just like, if I have to fucking pay for school, I'm only taking courses. I like, right. like I was, I that's that, that was, the, yeah. I was like, if I'm going to study something, like I'm going to watch films all day and do like, like that was what my education was like. It was like watching films. That's like all we did. <laughs> That does not suck. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Did it get me anywhere? Mm, yeah, it's debatable. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, bef- before, because like the the recording cut out before the you were talking about a sp- specific tour with Coheed, um, off off the second stage Turbine Blade, which is like one of my favorite albums ever. Love that record, man. Nothing <laughs> to me, no Coheed album tops that. I know that's insane, but that's, I, I agree. That, I, that the rawness, that a special place in my heart, man. The rawness of that recording, too. Like, it was not finessed. You know, they got Dr. No to play the solo. Like, that, that, yeah. The first time I heard Time Consumer, I was hooked. Like, immediately. Dude, dude, I I remember hearing it before we went on tour with them and thinking, this is interesting. (laughs) You know? And, I mean, it's like recordings were were shittier back then, you know? So, it was like, it sounded like a really good demo right 
You know what I mean? Like yeah, it was yeah. raw. Now I go back and listen to it and I cherish that quality about it. Right. Like yeah. I love how raw it is. I'm like, it's just the band in a room right. is what it sounds like. It's just those four guys making noise and it's fucking right. great. And I love the, uh, I love the, the re- whatever the remastered version was that they put out on Spotify. There's an yeah. extra song called Elf Tower. Yeah, Shibuti. New Mexico. Yeah, I think. Love because they song. they were a band called Shibuti beforehand, and I remember I in that, the early I days, I yeah. I was like unbelievably into Coheed. Like I had the co- the first two comics that they had, and like all of that stuff. Uh, but I remember going on like LimeWire or something like that and like downloading like there was like Elf Tower and a bunch, yeah, a bunch of different different things like that. Um, and I, I, I guess like says that at the beginning of yeah, a song, right? like, he's <laughs> like nobody knew what the lyrics meant at all either. I was like, what, like, what is this? Totally um, didn't matter. It was great. <laughs> yeah. So like what, what, um, the, what were the early days of touring like for you guys, just in terms of, uh, you know, was it stressful? Was it like exciting? Um, what were some of the complications and some of the, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, both of those things, it was stressful and exciting. And, um, but, but it was like, the, it was the greatest time of our lives. And it was also like, we were so young. So everything was like hyper important, you know, yeah. like every day was a dilemma. Um, but we fucking loved it. And it was like seeing the world for the first time, you know? Yeah. Um, it was just like, I loved traveling and I didn't realize how much I was going to love going on, tra- just traveling around. Yeah. Like, I mean, I always did like when we would do little tours and stuff, be like, Oh, it's fun to go different places, but right. like going to a different city every day and doing a different, like that was truly awesome. And, uh, but it was like, it was always a financial grind because it always yeah. felt like we were the last people to get paid. And even though we would, you'd go on a tour and you'd generate $100,000 in revenue. And by, by the end, you're like, okay, I got 900 bucks out of that. You know, it, yeah. it was like, and then you'd have to go, we'd get home and go straight back to work. And you have to forgive me because I've told all of these stories before yeah, about sure. the early yeah. band, yeah. you know? No, it's like, all but, good, like, dude. It's but it's consistent. It's like um, I just remember we had I had a job at this at this like pizza place, and I would tell my boss like, "Hey Rick, I'm gonna be gone for like I don't know two months, and I'm gonna be back for like eleven days, and I need to work doubles every day. But then I'm gonna be gone for the next fifty days." And he was just like, "God damn it, Josh!" <laughs> and uh, but he let me do it because I was a hard worker, and he like he would he was like dude you come in, you show up you get the job done you clean your and I, and i was like i need this job yeah, yeah. like i'm i'm working like i need the job yeah that's how i got back from tour every yeah. tour yeah. <laughs> yeah um and and just you did this for so long too like like how how many years did you guys do touring we were we were a touring band for like i mean on and off like in the early 2000s we would tour during summer spring break winter break yeah right but then like through 2007 that was our job we were touring and recording band yeah so something i've I've, 
I've always been interested in is that like somehow uh, word had spread in the in, in the very beginning that like you you guys just kind of got slapped with like a Christian label, like not not like a label to put your music out on, but just like oh, Hope's Fall is like a Christian band, like and and was that something that was like present for you guys? Was it was it like ah, we got this label and we just like get it off of us or was was there ever in any type of intentionality in that oh yeah no i mean like the very first record's a christian sounding record you know and like the frailty of words definitely was and that's where we felt I mean, we were just coming out of high school and like we i mean we all grew up in youth group together and you know we drank the kool-aid that was our lives you know and um and then you know getting into college like getting an education and, and, and then starting to see the world and then going on tour. It was like, okay, this doesn't really, this isn't really representative of us anymore. And it was like, you know, we played cornerstone festival and we were on take hold that had a lot of Christian bands. Uh, and, but, you know, I think pretty quickly we were like, we, not that, we're, we're sad about the record we put out and everything, but we're just like, that doesn't represent us anymore. And, but we're not changing our band name. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, th- th- Cause when did that shift kind of happen? Was it knowing to speak of or when satellite years happened or yeah. It was like that no wings was, we were starting to kind of go that way, you know? And then by satellite years, we were definitely like, okay, this is not, we are right. not a Christian band and yeah. we will actively tell people like, like that, that is not a label that we want to be associated with. Right. Yeah. Well, which, which uh, did that influence any of your decision kind of to not take uh, uh, a tooth and nail deal and maybe go to Trusco? Yeah. I mean, that was part of it. They, they offered us like a five deal record, or a five record deal. Yeah. I mean, at that age, we were just like, that seems that's just way too many. We we're like, no way. Trusco was offering a three record deal and it seemed pretty fair. And, uh, and it was Trusco, you know, and we were like, okay, well, we're definitely not a Christian band on the label with upside down crosses, you know? Right. 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 Like, <laughs> so like, yeah, that, that, that played a factor in it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we also, I mean, Trusco was, a, I mean, they had poison the well and 18 visions and right. lots of good bands and terror and like, we were fucking stoked to be on that label. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think here. Um, kind of back to touring stuff. Like what kind of, I, I guess, like physical and even like mental toll would it take on you to be out on the road for so long? Well, at the time, I didn't realize what a physical and mental toll it was taking on me. You know, it was just it was all brand new. Um, the financial stress took a, a large toll and like a relation, my relationship fell apart at the time kind of due to touring. And, and so I wasn't in the greatest, healthiest headspace, but at the same time I was having the time of my life, you know? Um, yeah. and it's like, I grew up and I mean, I suffered from depression. I've been on fucking SSRIs my whole life you know like uh so 
it was like it was an unhealthy environment <laughs> in so many ways and yet it's the best thing that ever happened to me yeah because I've, I've had friends who've been on the road and i, I think it also de- might depend on whether or not your band is like somewhat successful right oh yeah um, because like i had friends who were on like an emi label and they were just kind of like shelf sort of and like their booking agency had them all over the place like like not a coherent map process and like the both the financial and and just like the business side of things was like killing their soul and then like they hated going on tour because like they they had to know where they were going to sleep they didn't have money for like hotels or anything like that so it was like a huge guessing game you know um but i can imagine like did you guys have like a a, a booking company that you went through like um or was it just i mean yeah like after I mean, at first we were like in the earlier days of it, we were just like trading shows with people that we met on message boards and stuff like that. And then somebody, somehow we'd gotten like a a booking agent that was gonna, it was like a tryout. They were like trying us out. They booked like a two week tour for us and we were going to see how it goes. And then eventually when we got on a label, we were able to get an actual booking agency and and that was a, that was a big deal because then it kind of like at least that equate that part of the equation like the guy understood what the hardcore scene was he understood that we were a band that was kind of moving between genres a little bit you know kind of played in the you know yeah blurred the lines a little and and he knew how to get and he knew that we were into that and that we he so he booked us with lots of different stuff and yeah. and we were happy about it. Yeah. So Satellite yeah. Years obviously is a pretty influential album for like I think a lot of people. Um, like including myself. First time I heard that was I was sitting in a friend's car. I think I was like a freshman in college and uh, his cousin was in a band called Still Remains and he had given him like the satellite years and I heard it. And I wasn't really into that part of music, but I heard that and something about it just kind of, I think it was like some of the melodic stuff that was kind of mixed in with that. And then I was, I was mm-hmm. hooked right away. Um, I really like A-types like that like i really i remember writing uh, me too article (laughs) i i I remember writing an article for for a zine that i was like a part of at the time and it was just like the the headline was like a a plus for a types And I was wondering how that record was received by people because it was a stark shift, um, a very stark shift, like at that time. And like what going on tour was like for that record. It was like, yeah, it was, we had a lot of momentum going into it and then people kind of didn't know what to think. And, but we still played like a mix of like all of our other stuff with it. 
to us, it didn't feel like a crazy departure. Like we knew it was different. Like you can't yeah. not put the record out and not know that it's different. Um, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was just, how do I say it? It's, you know, it's like, we knew it was like, okay, after like six months or so, it was like, okay, we've had really good record sales, but we're just not getting the sp- response. We're not seeing growth. Yeah. You know? And then, so it was hard to, it wasn't hard to get on support tours and do that still. Like we were completely fine with that, but like after getting robbed and we had, a, we got robbed several times and, and, and then the things with the labels started going a little, eh, mm. and we ended up holding the bag on a couple financial things that we didn't think we were going to be held responsible for because we thought we had support. And, and so we were just getting in debt and in debt and further in debt. And so that really, even though I had so much fun making that record and I'm so nostalgic about some of the tours, like going to Europe and, you know, South America and, and, and playing that stuff. Yeah. You guys are freaking huge in Brazil. <laughs> like, what? what? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. We didn't. Well, I mean, we were like, wow, this is great. You know, <laughs> just. I don't know. It was a strange time, but like we knew we wanted to make another record. Um, And there was lots of shifts around that record. And there was shifts around in between going into magnetic North as well. But um, I don't know. We were just kind of, we had new members and we were feeling ourselves out and our drummer left the band five days before we went to the studio. And that changed the vibe of it dramatically. Sure. It changed the vibe of the songs pretty dramatically. Because okay. if you heard the eight of the 10 songs on A-Types going in the studio with Morgan playing them versus uh, the guy that did Adam Baker, they had totally different takes on it. Right. Um, and, you know, looking back, we put Baker into a hard place being like, all right, five days until we go record this album, you got to learn these songs. That's a tough thing to do to someone. Oh yeah. You know, that's crazy. That's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we thought he was really talented drummer and, and thought that that would be fine, but we should have had Morgan come up to the studio and play on it. And I didn't even remember that, but, but it was much later on that Adam reminded me that we were Morgan, that that was actually originally a plan. And I thought, wait, you know, it's like Baker's going to be the one touring on this record. We should let him have his crack at it, you know? And I was like, man, that was, that like that changed the vibe pretty dramatically. Yeah. Didn't, you didn't know? Adam jump in on, on tours every once yes. in a while after that? Yeah. Yes. He yeah. was, he had done, he played bass for us on. So Baker played bass for us on the satellite years before he became the drummer. You know, he toured with us for like four months. Uh, he, he wasn't on the satellite years record, but he did touring bass for us. And then yeah, Adam Morgan filled in. He went to Brazil with us. He filled in after he left the band. Um, but then we ended up getting a different drummer for Magnetic North. What what was the, so like the timeline of like Magnetic North? Uh, all I remember is that it came out, 
and then the band was just like done like there wasn't yeah. was there any touring on that record that included yourself me no jay got four other people to to kind of fill in for like two weeks and then it, and then they just were like no we're not going to do this yeah um yeah so like what when how did you know you were initially like done like this this was your life for like oh there know, was a uh, very definitive there was a very cut and dried definitive moment and uh, like I, I remember it like it was yesterday it was like jay called me forrest and was like they'd not not that they'd been hiding it from me but they knew i wasn't going to take it well and the label decided that my favorite song did not make the record oh yes okay yeah so saskatchewan felt like it was the linchpin of the record and that like it was like a very important piece of music in the scheme of the whole thing the label's like nobody wants like a 14 song record and i was like i don't fucking care it's my band (laughs) right i want a 14 song fucking record and they were like yeah nah and i was like okay thanks bye like that's it like i didn't put all of this time and effort into this to have someone else tell me what song could and could not be on the record. I was like, I, I, I cannot, this does, I cannot abide. (laughs) (laughs) The Josh, this line of aggression, this line in the stand, you shall not cross, you know, stand. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's super interesting because I think there was a lot of speculation about what had happened. Um, That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Uh, So that's, that's actually really cool to know. Um, because it's very principled, right? And it's very like, it's like, yeah. Because I I know that it was huge that some songs were taken off, uh, without apparently your guys's knowledge too when it was put out. Part of the band that- knew that it was it. Like they didn't tell us for a while, and they're like, by the way, when this comes out of the pressing, it's going to be short a song, so it can fit on. I don't I don't know why. I don't remember the reason why. Yeah. But I do remember I was like, well, why didn't they, they take this other song off instead? And it was like one of the guys at the label, that's his favorite song on the record. I was just like, you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Seriously. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. You know, I so yeah, I, that was it. I was done. I was done. But it's like I I was sticking around because it was like I like I felt like we needed to make this piece of music that like this was. I knew in my heart that like, this was it. I I think I did know that, like, but I had to see it through and finish it. Right. And then that happened. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to see it through anymore. Like I'm done. Goodbye. And then at that point, like uh, I would, I would assume that Jay going on with like four people who weren't even like, connect, like he was the only connection to that, Mm -hmm. that at, at that point, it's kind of like, well, what do you do? Like, you know, do I keep, yeah. do I keep going in one, this one direction or do I go, you know? I was uh, just like, yeah, well, say own. la vie, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> enjoy. I'm out, you know? Was that a hard, to, well, I mean, it's, you said it was pretty cut and dry, but. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I mean, was it, 
was it a hard decision? No, I, it was immediate. Like, are you serious? That's, that's what it is. I'm oh, definitively man. done. It made, it, they made up my mind for me. Yeah. Well, what was that? What is it like then from, from doing this for so long? And then like trying to trans it's almost like being in the military and then transitioning back into civilian life. Like that's exactly what? how I described it. Yeah. To people was like being dishonorably discharged. Right. And then you're just now it's like, you're not important. You're just a fucking civilian. And uh, yeah, because the band was at this point, I mean, it was my identity and I was wrestling with whether or not it was still worth it to be doing it. Like, is this because the way we were doing it was not a lifestyle that was sustainable, you know? Yeah. And, um, so I, I just said, okay, I quit and I'll never do that again. I'll never be in a band again. Like I sold my gear. I went and worked two jobs for like seven days a week, like saved up a bunch of money. I was trying to join the peace Corps. Um, I went back on tour on warp tour and sold merch for like five weeks for uh BYO records, interestingly enough. And, nice. um, and, uh, like I was done I, after that tour, I went backpacking through Europe for a couple months just by myself, just like until I ran out of money, I was like, I'll come home and I'll figure it out. Like I'll move or something, but yeah, you know, I'm, I was just, was, done. was that, yeah. When it was that like a feeling of, I mean, that could be an exciting feeling, but I'm also thinking it could be like a very like depressing feeling of like, what the fuck do I do now? Like, who am I? Where, like, where am I going? Like, or was it more like an exciting thing for you? Well, it, it was a mix of both, you know, because it's like, okay, I'm, I'm divorcing myself from this identity. Um, but I'm not ready to be like a real responsible adult and I'm going to figure out how to not be a real responsible adult for a while. I'm going to go and do things that I want to do that like you can't be in a band and go do like, I'm going to go do things on my own. Yeah. And, um, and I was just like, this can't be the thing that defines me. Yeah. So you, know? you said you quit and then yeah. obviously, uh, you know, more music was made. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Arbiter was put out in, in 2018, right? Yeah. Um, and what was that process like coming, coming back together and, and making music again? Like well, what we spurred that on? A lot of that music was made not as hopes fall. Like we were done, but like, we still wanted to, like I got back and a couple of years later, it was like, some of the guys were like, Oh, we should jam. It's fun. Like, all right, let's, let's make some music. And it, but it was like, Oh, should, what should we call it? Well, it's not fucking hopes fall. That's for damn sure. <laughs> it's just another band. But, but after like spending five years of like, take, you know, taking some time off, we didn't really have a schedule or a goal. We didn't even, we didn't even care if we were going to play shows. We just wanted to write music. And, um, we, we did this for a good four or five years on and off and came up with four or five songs. And I sent it to our old producer up in New York, Mike Watts, who's still our producer. And, uh, and he was like, Hey, these songs are cool. And I was like, give us a deal. Like, let us come up here and um, like record just so we can have these songs. He's like, he's like, you mind if I show these songs to some people? And we're like, no, that's cool. And, and so 
he came back to us. He's like, look, if you really actually want to record this shit, you got to call it Hope's Fault. Like, because people will pay for you guys to do it if that's what you. And we were just like, we, we really deliberated for a long time and weren't going to do it and weren't going to do it. And eventually we decided it was just like, okay, well, it's just the only reason we're not going to do it is out of pride. It's like, do I want pride to get in the way of the opportunity to record music? And eventually I was just like, no, I don't. And, you know, once I kind of turned that corner, I worked to convince everybody else of the same thing. And uh, I'm, I was, was, were you part of the contrails? Yes. Yes. There's like yeah. that one song that's on YouTube. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, and every single time I would ask Adam about it. Yeah. Like it just like no response. Like, it's just like, Mm. Uh, like couldn't couldn't get anything out of them mm. um but it was like uh, that 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 was pretty much like pre-arbiter stuff like the, yeah that was pre-arbiter kind of, writing because yeah. that was me adam chad and our buddy named ethan and uh and then when we started doing the arbiter stuff it was me dustin and adam just the three of us and then our buddy Mikey, who played bass on A Types of Magnetic North, like was kind of around for a little while, like helping with some stuff. And then eventually Chad joined the band on bass. And then after that, it kind of became most fall. Yeah. Uh, what was that process working with? Because uh, uh, you worked with Mike Watts on Magnetic North, correct? And A Types. Um, and A Types. Okay. He was the engineer on A Types. Gotcha. Okay. It was his studio we recorded at with a different producer, but he was a huge part of it. Okay. And we loved him. It was, it, I mean, to me, it was like a, a great marriage between uh, like satellite years and, and Mag magnetic North. Like it was just sonically, it was awesome, you know, like a uh, hard edge to it in, in a lot of ways. Uh, did you expect the response that you, that you guys got? No. Definitely not. We, uh, we didn't think that people, I mean, we thought, oh, there's going to be some hardcore fans that are cool that are, that are like, oh, dude, another record. But like, we didn't think people would like really be like, this is, this is like satellite years part two or this or that, you, you know, it, I don't know. We did not expect the response to be so positive. When not, we were not at that we didn't like the music ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. We just, you know, we thought we were dead and buried. Personal question. Uh, yeah. uh, is most of that written in drop C? Yeah, drop C sharp. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was, I was like <laughs> trying to figure out how to play some stuff and I was like, I think yeah, this is in it's drop all C. a half step down. It's okay. all a half step down. Gotcha. And then yeah. drop C. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like when we were at, at, at Furnace Fest, uh, it was packed out for your guys' set. Yeah. We were um, stoked. Yeah, what you know, one of the things I've always as a musician myself who never went touring or anything like that, what is what is it like to have people react to your music in 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 such a way or just like even like hearing people singing the lyrics to your song to me must be like an incredibly amazing feeling. Like it's I don't know, I'm oddly detached when we play. Um like I, I'm it's like I I'm trying to have a good time playing the songs, yeah. you know, but like it's always it, it always a lot of my enjoyment based on whether or not the show is good or not is can I fucking hear myself? 
yeah. You know, it's like, dude, I'm, it's like. Mix, you, you, dude, the mix. It's crapshoot. It's, it's like sometimes it sounds really good. And when it sounds really good, it's fun to jam. Yeah. And when it sounds like crap and you got to like look at the drummer because you can't hear the snare. It's not fun. Right. <laughs> That's not fun. You know, it's like we're not pro enough to like travel with a bunch of fucking in-ears and have our own guy all the time and this and that and the other. You know, if we had all that, I bet it would be a lot more exciting. The mix, the mix was I was on the side so that like in the VIP section or whatever. And and it, the mix sounded fine out there. Out there, I don't know. Like I think I I think I saw a piebald. Um, and the mix was like just because of the the acoustics of the place was like super interesting, right? Because you had the hanger uh-huh. that was there. Um, but, but from from my point of view, it sounded amazing. Um, it sounded well, it's really interesting because people told us it sounded good, um, and I was happy with the sound overall at Furnace Fest. I thought most of the bands sounded really fucking yeah. good. Like they did a good job with it. Um, so I was like, okay, well, if we sounded on average of what I heard, I'm sure, sure it sounded good in the crowd, but it, you know, that's a totally different world. Like crowd sound and stage sound are two different sure. things, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So uh, I don't know. So that's where I was at on that. I was like, I can't hear myself. I'm trying to like listen and kind of look back at drums sometimes to make sure I'm like in it. So it wasn't fun. <laughs> First, that <laughs> wasn't fun for you. That show now, the, 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 I didn't enjoy myself playing the show okay. because of that. Right, 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 right. Now, right. I can uh, now. I can step. I'm old enough now to not be like, okay, that was fucking a disaster. I'm looking at the crowd and people are like, oh, this is awesome. And it's like, okay, well, they're having fun, and that's the point, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. So there's like that music, yeah, the musician side of you that's like, this is all screwed, and yeah. and then there's like, well, people, you know, people are. People yeah, had a good more time. Like the existential, so, like these people are are having a great time. I mean, like, was that how it was for you the entire time you were in the band too, though, or was it kind of? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a musician thing. That's the <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah. It's like if this sounds like shit, I'm not having fun. It's like I didn't fucking do this to sound like shit, right? You know, <laughs> I hate that. I fucking hate it. Um, it kills me. <laughs> so uh right now i think you guys you guys are playing a show coming up soon mm-hmm. uh with stretch armstrong mm-hmm. um, an advent advent yeah yeah uh do you guys have 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 any more plans at all to to play shows we have another show booked in october for this thing called first in flight fest in north carolina and uh, they're getting a lot of old North Carolina, like hardcore and punk bands over the last 20 years together in Greensboro um, at a pretty cool venue. So we're going to play, we're going to play that one um, in, I think it's October 6th. Cool. So, uh, yeah. And then just like, I guess right, right now, what is, what, what are you passionate about? Like, what are you, what inspires you? Uh, I know you have a business. If you, if you just kind of want to like talk about that as well. I mean, that's, that's pretty much my life at this point is, is that I teach this thing called foundation training. And we talked about it a little yeah. bit at the fest, but, um, but that's, I mean, I'm, I'm fully invested in that. I work, I do it every single day and like, I'm trying to start this brand here in, in Charlotte, but really 
I want to grow the practice itself. It's like, I would like to be able to go to foundation training classes. Right. You know, and not be the teacher. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> in right my right. hometown. I would like to attend the classes. So until, you know, I've got, until more people are, are, are getting certified and, and doing that, I feel like that's kind of the thing that I'm supposed to be doing right now yeah. is just kind of growing awareness for this thing. And, um, I'm sorry, tell the, the people that are listening to it, but it's a, it's a form of corrective exercise specifically designed for people that have back pain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it changed, it, it, it got me out of a very bad place. And I was like, man, people need to know about this because it's like doctors didn't tell me about it. You know, PTs didn't tell me about it. I didn't know about it. It was out of chance that we came across a Ted talk of this doctor who created this modality. And I bought a book on a whim because I was like, I was in crippling pain at yeah. that point in my life. Like I had 90% degeneration of the discs in my lumbar spine. Wow. Um, I'd already had one spinal surgery where I had to get an artificial disc placed in my neck. You know, life was, it was bleak. It was grim. You know, it was like, I was living through pain that you would think would be reserved for somebody that had like a horrific car accident or, you know, an NFL player with a spinal injury or something like that. But I was just a regular fucking guy. And like, I'd never been in a car accident. I'd never been in contact sports you know, never sustained yeah. any sort of like really damaging injury. And it was like, why is this happening? And, and, um, so this practice is what got me out of pain and, and it, and it answered all my questions about the why. And so that's, that's it, man. Like that is what I do. Yeah. That you sound really passionate about it. Like uh, it, it's, it, that, that's awesome. No, um, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, I, you, I, you specifically, I think also have worked with like, other musicians right um because was that more the source of your injury was was just being on tour and just rocking hard like all the time it didn't help but i had terrible posture and you know like the the whole premise of of this practice is that if you're if you're living in our modern western society you're you're we're very sedentary right yeah and it's like we were not naturally selected to be sedentary right Right. Yeah. Like from like Australopithecus to like the agricultural revolution, those like you know, a hundred thousand generations of, of creatures that eventually got up to homo sapien level. Like you were a nomad, you were a hunter gatherer. Um, it was only the agricultural revolution that made us more sedentary. Right. And then, yeah. right. Since then, since like that, what, like 10,000 years ago, we've had another 350 generations, maybe 400 generations of humans. And in that time period, we've dramatically altered the environment. And I'm not saying this from a, uh, sure. oh, we're yeah. killing the planet, right? Yeah. It's like, we didn't have cars. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have shoes. <laughs> right, right. We didn't have, we didn't have, you know, sort of perfect sleepers and lazy boys and Right. If you yeah. couldn't move, you were a meal. Yeah, exactly. You're dead. <laughs> right. And yeah. if you think about it, we're the only species besides our pets that is a mobile species that loses the ability to move and continues to live for another 30, 40 years. That is right. not natural. Right. Right. Yeah. So our movement and movement in general, we were naturally selected to be good movers. Right. And eventually, just through chance and 
natural selection, I guess. <laughs> like we uh um we developed these large brains and then we became the dominant species, not because we were the most vicious creatures, but because we were the smartest. Yeah. And and uh we were able to become the alpha species in every environment that we enter. And you know, you know what but I the think environment, is like, yeah, go for it. Sorry. No, I just say, but like, you know, seats, screens, shoes, cell phones, like being sitting down all the time. What we're doing right now is unnatural. Like yeah. we would be squatting if we well, were. That, what I what I think is like incredibly interesting is like even from like a psychological perspective, like we still have what we call the reptilian brain, which is like that leftover inside of our brain of like when, um, like where a lot of deep rooted anxiety comes from, where it's just like your body just goes into a fight or flight. And like, it's, it's kind of this leftover part, uh, from evolution where it's like when you had, had to be worried about, you know, crazy things happening, like, you know, like, I don't know, an animal attacking you or, you know, like bump in the night or whatever. And when people oftentimes struggle with anxiety, it's because that part of the brain is malfunctioning in this, in a certain capacity where it's like, uh, alerting you to something that you don't need to be afraid of. Right. But it's, it's weird how these certain little things that are like left over from, from evolution, how far we've moved from them are, are still very present. And yeah, and you know what I mean? And like, I'm like tapping into that, um, is is like in, incredibly helpful and uh, and and finding that I mean it's a lot of uh, uh, you know when you get that kind of like oh shit moment and you're you know either gonna like fight somebody or <laughs> or you're gonna run away or you're just gonna like freeze it's it's all like uh, an evolutionary response which is which is crazy to me it, yeah and it shapes our it shapes the way we interact with our environment and and. Yeah, I find that stuff incredibly fascinating, you know, just uh, reading about the history of the human body. Yeah. Uh, like, I love that that book, Sapiens. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't heard of it, but yeah. And then um, another one, it's like the story of the human body. I, okay, hold one second. Okay. Let, me get, let me bust it out real quick because it's got it's right here. Like, uh, yeah, that's literally what it's called. The, the, the story of the human oh, body. Nice. Yeah. And um but just thinking about it from a historical perspective and like where we came from and, you know, none of the doctors were like, Hey man, have you thought about like trying to get a movement practice to just change how you interact with gravity? Like that was not a suggestion. It was like, Oh, here's this several hundred thousand dollar solution. That's going to put you on your back for six months. It's like Western medicine has gotten incredibly good at traumatic injuries, like saving people from traumatic injuries. And it's just kind of, exists to feed itself off of like chronic conditions and and things like that. It's like where they really don't fix much. Right. You know, it's on you to kind of fix yourself. And, and, and that was my big kind of takeaway from that whole experience is uh, you've got to want to change and fix yourself. Like if something goes wrong and you don't want to change, like you can't, you can't depend on other people in medicine to change things for you. Yeah. You well, know. that's, that's really funny that you, you say that. I mean, I have to go in a minute or two, but like, that's, that's kind of like the precipice of, of psychology too. It's like, if, if, if you are not willing to do the work, if you are not 
willing to change or do something differently than like uh don't be in my office like there's yeah you know what i mean like there's 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 nothing really to work on like you know you can lead a horse to water but you can't you know make them change yeah right and so yeah. one of the one of the first things is I, I i primarily work with teenagers and young adults but like if a if a parent is bringing a kid into my room like the first thing i ask them is like do they want to be there and if they're like no they're really resistant to it i'm like i i don't want to see them that that's just like yeah you know like because like nothing's gonna happen and and you know it's it's gonna be detrimental to them right like, i agree <laughs> so i'm um, the same way it's like i don't want to work with people that it's like their spouse bought them like right hey i got you this corrective exercise he's like do you, if you don't want to do this you're wasting both of yeah our time. You're, yeah you're wasting you're wasting our time you're wasting our money like i i really appreciate you oh, uh, well. t- taking the time uh to do this and Happy uh it's it's been it's been awesome getting to like if you had told the 23 22 year old me that i would be doing this right now like talking and like was able to brew a beer for you guys and like all that shit like i would be ecstatic which was which which i could taste back when i could taste and it was fucking right. good <laughs> <laughs> good 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 i'm glad yeah um well thanks a lot man i really appreciate it of course uh, have a great night um i'm probably gonna i'll probably just uh when when it's about to come out i'll probably just let you know um, please do i'll yeah. put it out yeah yeah i'll put cool. the word out awesome thanks so much josh i really appreciate all it right. take it easy i'll talk to you soon yeah all right bye well that about does it for our first episode of welcome to the scene i want to thank my guest josh brigham from hopes fall once again if you enjoyed this episode please consider subscribing you can find us on all major platforms you can also find us on instagram at Instagram.com backslash the scene cast. We'll see you next time.